Hey Jexiteers, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I have a special guest on the channel. Uh, Tracy Ann is a longtime supporter of the channel, um, right back from the very beginning from our very first video. So I'm really honored to have her on the show today. And she has a very, very interesting and dare I say shocking story to tell about her own Jexit from the Jehovah's Witness organization. So Tracy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Weather is not nice, but can't complain. <laughs> good, good. Okay, so please tell us your story. How did you become a Jehovah's Witness? Well, my mother became a Jehovah's Witness when she became an adult. So her dad was a witness. I'm not sure how he became a witness, but I think he became a witness from the door-to-door -door ministry. And I, from what my cousin told me, he was, he used to always hide from the witnesses because he was a smoker. And one day they happened to come to the house when he was outside smoking and they got him there and he told them, if you're telling me something interesting, then I will be able to listen to you. And so whatever they told him, it piqued his interest, became a witness. But none of his children became witness when they were children. So when my mom had all the children, all seven of us, and I was about six years old, she married my dad and then joined the witnesses. And after a while, when I, I think when I was 16, I started attending meeting regularly. A sister saw me going to the shops one day and she invited me to the, um, they had the CEO visit and she invited me. And I decided I was going to go because don't know why, but I went. And from then on, I never stopped attending. And then I got baptized at the age of 17. And from then on, at the time, none of my sisters were or brothers became witnesses. So it was just myself and my mom that was attending meetings. Right. So you, you were baptized at 17. So what, what, which is in witness terms, it's quite late to get baptized. Most witnesses get baptized in their early teens or in like the preteen years. So, um, but, and then when they get into like their later teens, that's when a lot of witnesses start to struggle, especially if they're already baptized. So what was that like for you? How, how, how what was it like being a, a, in your late teens and being baptized as a witness? It there were struggles, but not as, not a lot. Going to school, yes, you do, we did have to not celebrate birthdays and Christmas and saluting the flag, but it wasn't a big deal. If, when I stood for it without saying the national anthem, nobody looked at us really it wasn't frowned upon. They just look at it and say, oh, you're weird, but that's about it. So nobody would give us grief for that. But the most that used to happen was when we go preaching, door-to-door -door preaching. That's when people would hide from us. They'll call us Jehovah Wickedness. I'm sure you've heard that term growing up in Jamaica. 
Yeah, I've heard that one many, many times. Jeho- Jehovah Wickedness and Jehovah. Seven Day Bad Ventist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was so school wise, it was it was okay. It wasn't hard. And also growing up, because it was just my mom and myself that were witnesses, my mom never looked at people and think that they're bad association. So because of that, we ha- we were well grounded. We were able to hang out with our cousins who weren't witnesses. And mom used to have always have a lot of people around her because she's generally a kind person. So she'll feed the hungry. Always there was always people at her house. So she we get the opportunity. We got the best of both worlds as well. Okay, that's in, that's interesting. So you'd say that you had a relatively easy life as a as a witness teenager. Yes, I did up to the point when I started finish school. Then I started working. I started working when I was about eighteen, and that's when the problem starts. You know, as a young person growing up in Jamaica, it's normal for you to have boyfriends, and at the time where I was working it had a lot of mail so and there were elders that worked at my at the company that I was with so that presents a challenge because there would be guys interested in you and once the elders see you talking to a guy they'll assume that you're sleeping with them and then start stalking you turning up at your house unannounced and you think that's that's creepy but you always, I always thought, okay, maybe it's Jehovah keeping an eye on us. So you tend to shy away from doing anything negative in that respect. But that's where the, the fact that they always watching you, waiting for you to make a mistake. And there weren't eligible brothers. As a matter of fact, there were only two brothers in my home. And there were about seven at least seven years older than I was, and lots of sisters. So it wasn't uncommon for there to be lots of judicial committee meetings because the sisters don't have any hope of finding a suitable marriage mate. They're mostly, quote-unquote, worldly guys. So a worldly person would show interest in a sister and the sister would because there are no men in the kingdom also, naturally, you'll take what's next. So it wasn't uncommon to have a lot of disfellowshipping and reprove in my local hall because of the lack of brothers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's perfectly understandable. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, that's a really bad ratio, what you just said. So there was only like two eligible brothers in the congregation and the rest were sisters. I mean, that's one of the worst ratios I've heard. I mean, and the ratio generally across the witnesses isn't isn't great. I mean, I think it's something like three to one. Yes. The ratio. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was it was bad. And by the time I got to my early twenties, those two brothers would were taken. So myself and there were two sisters who had finished. Um, college or uni there were no brothers there how did that affect you it was a struggle because as a 
single sister, you would get advances from from males and trying to to shrug them off because you know that you're only allowed to marry in the Lord. And I remember I made the mistake of falling in love with one of my co-worker and um, I used to notice that whenever he came to visit my house, there's always an elder that turned up at the house. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why. It's only after leaving, that's when I realized that they actually physically watch you. They, they, they don't allow you to be you. You are be somewhere. And the next thing I know, there's an elder that pops up and you think how can you this is a small community how can they be at the same place and it's only after leaving i realized they do watch they were watching me so this this particular elder was literally watching you and and following you yes and that's there's a very interesting story behind that as well because i remember my friend who isn't a J, J wasn't a JW and she said to me Tracy that guy really loves you but I said he can't it, that's not possible he's he's a friend he's a family friend he's supposed to look out for my interests he said she said no he really likes you because of the way he speak she's speaking from a person who is in the quote unquote world so she knows these things and I used to say no she, he doesn't and it turned out that she was indeed, but this brother, he was married. And it just so happened that she was right. Very interesting story behind that as well, because this brother, I can go into details afterwards, but he was watching every move that I make. And they invited me to judicial committee meeting because um i had a boyfriend and they were spying on me so they had proof that they saw me with him and as a jehovah's witness you're taught you're meant to tattletale on yourself so if you do anything the first thing you're going to do is to run to the elders to confess and tell them what you've been up to especially seeing that they were watching your every move they'll pop up at places that, and you're thinking, is this Jehovah trying to tell me something? Should I confess? And then naturally you confess to what happened. So eventually I had to break up with my boyfriend because it was a case of either stay in the religion or get this fellowship. So I had to break up with my boyfriend because of because of not wanting to be disfellowship. That that must have been really difficult, especially if you had, you know, genuine deep feelings for him. Yes, there was. And my family liked him. How did he and take it? He didn't take it. He was he wasn't have taking no for an answer. So he would pop up at the kingdom hall as well, sit in the back, and he wasn't having it. But I 
you are you're constantly wrestling with the idea you love this person you want to spend your life with this person but because of the religion you can't marry this person because he's not a jehovah's witness he wasn't willing to become a witness so we just had to settle on being friends that's that's really sad it's really sad so what happened with your judicial committee at first i was reproved for that one but then this elder who was in love with me as it were he sat on the judicial committee meeting because there're not a lot of elders to go around so it's usually the same elders that would sit on the meeting so i was reproved and then about a year later it was lifted and unfortunately a few years later this this elder he kept hounding me kept hounding me and yes i might have entertained him because i've considered him a very good friend and it just so happened that things got out of hand once it was just once and then he went and he told the other elders and i had a judicial they invited me to a judicial his was done separately and i had mine as well separately and the decision was that i would have been disfellowship and he got i think he got private reproof because nobody knew about what had happened so when they announced told me that i was going to be disfellowshiped he came to the house told me that i needed to appeal the the decision i mentioned to him that i let's let i'll just take the the punishment i would not appeal he told me that if you should appeal and i'll school you on what to say and what to do in your appeal meeting and that's exactly what i did wow so he coached you on how yes. to on how to lodge a successful appeal against your decision yes i yes he did what what amazes me even more than that is that you were disfellowshipped but he was only given a private reproof yes for I, the same thing yes so i uh, at was he removed as an elder did he lose his privileges at the time yes he did but he, he ended up moving away with his um, wife to another part of the island and at the time because of all that was going on with my life i thought okay i've got an aunt in in england mm. and so i asked her if i could come and visit right and that's how i ended up in in the uk right right so, so can i just ask did did the elders did they give you any kind of explanation as to why your punishment was so severe and his was so lenient to be honest i can't remember because it's been such a long time but i think because he went and confessed first right and it's it's funny because things that happen when it happened is only after getting a copy of the shepherd of shepherd the shepherd of god book that mm. i understand why he did what he some of the things what the reason for doing certain things and because he's got he had a copy because he's an elder 
So he know he knew the questions that they would ask to to deem repentance. Right. And he he he, he knew how to game the system. He basically. knew how to get himself out of the the the. Yep. the which which is mind-boggling because it's only after having read that book, seen the and even my with my own personal experience, some of the questions that they ask. And yes, I would have thought, why are they asking such a question? But because of being fearful of being disfellowshipped, you tend to answer the questions that you're mm -hmm. asked. What did the person use um a condom? Did they use did they so if if that's happened, it means that it's premeditated. What clothes you were wearing? Where did it happen? How often did it happen? And it's you you answer because you don't want to be disfellowshipped because you don't know what they're thinking. You think that they're going to do what's best for you. They're there to help you spiritually, but it's only after you realize that no, that's not the case. I mean, it just goes to show that if it's if there's a system that can be gamed just through having insider knowledge, then it's really a whole man-made process. I mean, if it was if the whole thing was really guided by by Jehovah and His Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need to inside knowledge to game the system, <laughs> and gaming the system wouldn't be possible if that's how it works. But it, it, obviously, it doesn't. Exactly, it, and it it well goes to show you. And those are some of the little things that were filed in the back of my mind to say, is this really God's organization? But you plod along because that's that's all you ever know. No, you've all own so you tend to do what you think is best and you take it from there. It was only half after I landed in the UK. That's when uh, so I called the elder, one of the elders who sat on the meeting, and I asked him what it was. And he said, it's been changed from a disfellowship into a uh, reproof. I'm not sure if it was a private or public because I wasn't there to know. So so we're up to the point where you've left Jamaica now and you've arrived in the UK and uh, you're under uh, reproof. I'm not sure whether it's public or private, but you're under reproof. So you're in the UK now living with your with your aunt was it yes yeah what happens what happened next so lived with my aunt i came over as well with my sister and her son and at that time my sister started studying with the witnesses before she left jamaica and then she resumed her study when she came to the uk so we lived with my auntie told her that i was on reprove and that was okay. At least it wasn't a disfellowshipping because it means that I would, would not be able to stay with her because this auntie, she can be very judgmental. So she wouldn't have allowed me to stay in her house as it is. So informed one of the elders and that I was on reproof. And... Um, it's it's funny because growing up in Jamaica, it's 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 totally different to be in the UK. At times, it can be difficult because you're coming into a new culture, and people assume people think that oh the witnesses are one big happy family, but it's it 
can be, but if you don't fit in, you just don't fit in. They might dislike you for one reason or the other. But I did manage to have a few friends and I stayed in North London for about five, five years. So I wasn't ever a regular pioneer, I just auxiliary pioneer. You know, the standard yearly memorial season pioneering. So did that. And what I find as well is that the witnesses, they're so hung up on your spirituality. If you've been reproved, if, you've, if you don't do many hours in the ministry, you're looked down upon. So even at that time, there were times when I would be told that, oh, this brother is interested, but because they view you as spiritually weak, they'll somehow warn those brothers off you and tell you not to tell them not to get involved with you, which is which is hard. And they used to think that she's coming into this country. Why is she here? And when are you going home? One of the standard questions they'll ask you, oh, when are you going home? And to me, that I find that rude because you don't know anything about me. Why are you interested in when am I going home? People that I've worked with, they don't ask me such questions. The people I go to college with, they don't ask me that question. So why should my so-called brothers ask me when am I going home? It's not. It's not none of your business. So, That's really terrible. I mean, that, that that must have made you feel so unwelcome. It it did, and um, there are brothers that made made it uncomfortable but because my auntie was well known she tend to have a lot of people because on Sundays we used to have um, the Bethelite family that were Bethelites that were assigned to my our hall they used to come to for meals without fail every Sunday my aunt would cook a big spread you know Jamaican and she would have them around for dinner and then from there they would leave for, for the meeting or if it's um before meeting was in the afternoon evening they'll come before so i had the don't i wouldn't say privilege but we had quite a lot number of bethelites visiting us five years after coming to the uk i met my husband and he's from the south of London. So I it, it was a struggle when we first started going out because, again, the rumour was she's from Jamaica. How is it that she's managed to come to this country and after five years she's able to bag a husband? Why, why, does she, why was she able to find a husband? Why, what? So it, it why is she getting married? She doesn't have any money. And it was it was a constant struggle with with people saying and they even there were even at one point we, we broke up for a month because people were telling him, Oh, she's getting married to you so that she'll be able to stay in this country permanently. People actually said that to him. Yes. And it got to him and we broke up because of it. 
and then after a month he called and we start we talked and he realized that not everybody that say that they're with you are for you and we got back together and then so we dated for i met him to um, january 2003 and we got married 2005 and from there moved into south london married life we moved into a congregation um, that was recommended by a friend of ours and we stayed there and my husband when he grew up in south london but he was appointed a ministerial servant but then when he went to america he went to america a few years for a few years and after he went to america he wasn't reappointed on returning to the uk the congregation that we were in apparently he was told that he wouldn't have been appointed because he had just gotten married even though we were quote unquote doing things that we should be doing we were out on the ministry every week reporting hours at the time we had you had bible studies and it's only later that we found out because my husband is quite a vocal person so he would say what is on his mind that's when we knew that they didn't do it reappoint him because he's an outspoken person and not because you had recently gotten married. So even when I was going out with my husband and I was still in North London, I keep going, sorry, I keep going backwards and forwards. But I remember an elder who was meant to be my mentor saying to me, but he's not a, a, a servant. He's not an elder. He's not a pioneer. You sure this is gonna work? So they weren't happy that I was going out with a brother that wasn't a pioneer. He wasn't an elder. He wasn't a servant. He was, he was just a lowly publisher. And the fact that he was practically brought up in the religion and at the age that he was, he should have been an elder in their eyes. But he said that's not for him. He's, he's not bothered about things like title titled all he cares about is helping his brothers and his sisters and that's what he focused on so he wasn't interested in any position and because he was outspoken they never reappoint him i've heard about very similar experiences from other people um and i can see looking back now i can see that to be a good elder basically means to be a good rule follower <laughs> if you're somebody who who's outspoken and has your own opinion and your own mind you wouldn't make a good elder <laughs> definitely yeah. and that's why my husband said he said to them i'm not a yes man exactly and for you to to be an elder you have to be a yes man you have to follow the 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 religion to a t you have to say yes sir no sir three bags full sir sort of person and they don't like that if you want say anything that's critical of them, they don't like it. I remember once we, we I went out on the ministry on a Saturday and my husband, he had to work. So an elder came up to me and said, oh, where is your husband? So I said to him, he's at work. And he had the cheek to say, 
he's at work, should be on the ministry. And I said to him, if he doesn't work, are you going to pay for us to eat? And that shut him up. He didn't say anything afterwards. And that's how they are. Even though my husband, because of the job that he does, he can be off on during the week. But that wasn't okay for them. They expect to see him on a Saturday and a Sunday or Saturday or a Sunday. It, it didn't count if he was in the ministry during the week. They weren't bothered about that. It just, it, this religion is a, is a show religion. You have to outward appearance. They're so caught up about outward appearance that they don't see the true person inside. As long as you're doing your hours, as long as you've got that Bible study, you don't, they, they, that's all that matters to them. Nothing else that matters. Mm. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, you touched on this earlier um, about spirituality, and I've, I've come to realize now that the witness idea of spirituality is completely the, the wrong way around. Spirituality isn't about what you do. Spirituality is about your relationship with either God or something higher than yourself. But what witnesses call being spiritual isn't being spiritual. It's actually being religious. Yes. I mean, if you think of the phrase, oh, when you say somebody does something religiously, it means that they do it regularly as part of a routine. They do it by rote. That's what it means to do something religiously. It's all about routines. Yeah. That's not spirituality. Definitely not. Going on the ministry, um, studying the magazines, answering up at the meeting, giving comments, those are all routine-based things. Those are all that those are that's being religious. That's not being spiritual. That's 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 true, so true. But yeah, and um, so we were coasting along in the religion, going to meeting service, and then uh, we had to move property. So we bought somewhere and we live in where we live in now. So we had to move congregation. And that's when things started going downhill. This congregation that we've been in, downright cold. They, 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 they were so cold. It was so hard to make friends. They, they had their little clique. They'll have, you'll have the CEO, the not the CEO, the elders and their wives clique. Then you'll have the mothers. And because we didn't have any children, it's as if we didn't fit anywhere. There was no little that we could fit in so it was hard getting people to go on the ministry so if almost always I would be working with my husband because it was so difficult and that's when I it, it got too much and so we moved back into our whole kingdom hall that we moved in when we got married and we stayed there for a while but then it still wasn't working out. The congregation was lovely, made friends. Spiritually, we were, even though it wasn't an elder or anything, we 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 sat fell into a routine, so it was good. But again, it was it was the distance. And so we bite the bullet and went back into the our former hall that was caught. 
And the simple fact is we were living in the territory and it was much easier for us. And after a while, I just stopped attending meetings because I was so discouraged because here we are told, yes, I had friends outside of the religion because that's how I grew. I never believed the witness ideology that only JWs were good people. I've seen it. I've seen it for myself. I've proven it time and time again while I was in Jamaica, while I'm in the UK, that I see people for who they are. You can get a person who has who doesn't have any belief in God, and that person is the nicest person you can get. And you get can get a person who said that they're they they're Christians that are horrible. So I never let that edict that only associate with JWs affected me. I saw the good in people. And if you are a decent person, you're going to be my friend. For a while, we stopped going together. At, first, at that time, I was still believing doubts, but still thinking it was the truth. Until my, I have a relative in um, another country. And he knows that I tend to follow issues about CSA, child sexual abuse. So he knows that I, things like that, when I remember, I don't know if you remember when BBC Panorama came out with that investigation, we were told yeah, that we shouldn't. Called, it was called Suffer the Little Suffer Children. The little ch yeah. yeah. When they were told us not to watch it, I thought nobody's telling me not to watch it. I'm going to watch it. So I sat and I watched it with my sister. So he knows that I'm keenly interested in things like that because of what happened to me when I was young. And so he mentioned, I don't, I asked why he mentioned it in later conversation. And he told me, he said, because I know something you said to me, I can't remember what it was, but you said something to me. And then I brought, brought he said, he brought up the Australian Royal Commission. And I'm like, oh, what's that? He said, go and check YouTube. I checked YouTube, I did. And when I saw that case and when I heard the elders and Jeffrey Jackson, what they said, I'd never forget that day. I sat and I cried and I cried and I, it was so emotional because I thought, here is this man. One of the points that I, um, that I found, found very difficult was when he said, when they ask him, so if you think the person is unrepentant and you disfellowship him, what about the, the, the people on the outside? He said, well, if, if he'll tell them, when I forgot the elder's name, and he said he'll tell them if it's per people on the outside that this guy is a, he's a predator. But he said, how can you tell them? He said, if, if he's my if it's somebody I know, then he'll tell them. And it dawned on me, these people don't care about anybody but themselves. If this predator is known to the congregation and is proven and he's guilty of being a predator, don't you think you should have a duty of care to children who are not of your faith? Don't you think that he you have a responsibility to these people to protect the children at all costs. And it dawned on me that they are 
something wasn't right. And in that instant, after watching the Australian Royal Commission, I thought, no, I'm done. I am done with this religion. And I told my husband about it, but he was happy to just go along because that's all he knew. He knew only the witnesses. And he, he, he watched it with me, but it never had the same effect as it did on me. And from then on, I started watching YouTube videos about other ex-witnesses. And at the time I was working with, along with two witnesses and it came to the assembly, the convention. At the time we were, we had moved to, it wasn't Twickenham. We left Twickenham and we were assigned to Excel. And I remember that um, one, the brother asked me, oh, are you going to the convention? And I said to him, no, I'm not going to the convention. And he asked me why, so I told him why I wasn't going. He filed that at the back of his head. He didn't say anything to me. And that was that. And so I stopped attending meetings. And then from time to time, my friends from North London would call and ask, um, or when, when after the assembly, they'd call and they said, oh, I didn't see you at the assembly because they were assigned to the same one as I was. So I explained them to them why I wasn't going. And my auntie as well, she called me and she asked me why, and I told her. And she wasn't happy about it. She got very upset. So she said, she said to me, oh, if you, you need to leave your husband so that he doesn't get destroyed with you at Armageddon. Because <laughs> she said, what? She, she told me that I needed to leave my husband because he doesn't, so that I don't, he doesn't get destroyed with me at Armageddon for not believing in the JWs. So she, wow. she told me she told me she wouldn't speak to me again until yeah. I come to my senses. And true to her word, she hasn't. So I mentioned that I worked with a brother and a sister. And so I mentioned to him that time when he asked me about why I wasn't going to the convention. So I explained to him why. He didn't say anything at the time. But then a year, over a year later, he said to me, I noticed that when I went into the office, he wouldn't greet me. And at the time I wasn't disfellowship, I was just inactive. And so I thought it's strange because he's, he's generally a chatty guy. So I asked him, I said to him, have I done you something? Why aren't you speaking to me? At first he said nothing was wrong, but then when the office, when it was just the two of us in the, in our cubicle, he said to me, actually, yes, something is wrong. You remember when you told me why you didn't go to the convention? It's been playing on my mind. So it took him over a year for it to play on his mind. And then he decided to tell his mom and his mom told him to tell the elders about what I said. 
So that was one witness. Then apparently somebody wrote an anonymous letter to my congregation to tell them about what I've been up to because they was they were stalking my Facebook. They stalking my WhatsApp profile because I used to put things like religion is a snare and a racket and um Bob Marley's son did a song called Nail Pan Cross, which means nail on the cross. And I would put that song up because it speaks spoke true to me. Because it says, some preaching religion, but inside they're hollow. And I like that phrase, so I put it there. So they were watching me, counting me, and watching to see what I was doing. And then I started distributing literature some leaflets to my neighbors and I was doing it with another friend and the area that we were doing it in an elder came out the friend dropped it, the letter through the leaf letterbox he saw the letter the, unfortunately we thought nobody was at home because we did it during working hours and he came out saw didn't see the person who dropped it but saw me so he said, he came out and he saw me with the leaflets in my hand. He said, oh, is that what you're doing now? So I said, yeah, they're a problem. And then he went and he reported me to the elders. And from there, so didn't hear anything for months afterwards until the memorial season of 2000, a year away, 2001. So it wasn't last year, it was 2019 that um an elder called gary and said he's come if ask if he can pop around so we thought nothing of it we thought that okay he's having us around because of the memorial season and he wants to invite us to the memorial when he turned up he turned up with another elder and he got to straight to the point and said we're not here to see you to my husband we're here to see tracy and is to invite him to her to a judicial meeting so I said, what's that for? He said, oh, undergrounds of apostasy. So I said, okay, fine. So I wasn't going to go, but then I thought, okay, I'll go see what they have to say. And um, went for the judicial meeting and they disfellowshipped me for associating with a disfellowship individual and for distributing leaflet to my neighbors so i got disfellowshipped for that i appealed because my mother-in-law is a witness my brother-in-law also so extended family are witnesses and plus my husband while he was inactive he's still considered a witness so i didn't want to rough the feathers so I, I would have, because bear in mind, I hadn't been to the meeting in years, at least over three years, I've not been active. When they brought around the form to sign that GDPR form to sign, my husband signed his, I didn't sign it. So I thought, okay, if I didn't sign it, why that means you can't have anything on me. So they didn't care about that. 
I wrote them a letter as well, explained that you shouldn't, because of GDPR, you shouldn't announce my name. They didn't take to that. They still, they, I think they contacted, don't know who they contacted, but then the secretary of the meeting sent me another letter to say, it doesn't come under GDPR and that it is suitable for them to announce my name as no longer Jehovah's Witnesses. And they went to whatever to explain why. And they announced that I was no longer a Jehovah's Witness. So that was May of 2019 that it was announced. Then a few months later, my us my husband became ill. He was he was losing bleeding internally and we didn't know why. It was, it was a Friday and I had just started a new job, so I couldn't have gotten time off. So I said, when I come home from work, I'll take you to Annie. And so he called me. I said, I'm on the train, go upstairs, get ready, and I'll take you. So he went upstairs to get dressed. By the time he got upstairs, he was so weak that he passed out. And so I tried calling him to tell him I'm on the bus and I'll be with him shortly. He wouldn't answer. So I rushed home, went inside, didn't see him, ran upstairs. He, he was collapsed on the, on the bed. Now here is the problem. He was trying to get his clothes on. He was too heavy for me to, to pick up, to put it, get him dressed, to take him to A&E. So naturally what I do, because remember, I live across the road to, to an elder. But at this point, I was disfellowshipped. So I naturally, I ran outside, looked to my neighbor to the left, right, because we were close, but their car wasn't there. So I assumed they wasn't there. So I ran across the road to the next best person I think would help their brother knocked on his door, knocked, knocked, knocked. This elder would not come to the door. So what was I going to do? So fortunately, something told me to go and knock my neighbor whose car wasn't there. Knocked it, and fortunately, she was there. I said, he's collapsed, and I need to get him dressed to take him to a &E. So she said, hold on, I'm coming right away. She pulled something on and came and helped me get him dressed. She said, call it um, the ambulance right away. And um, called the ambulance. She helped me to get him dressed. And eventually the ambulance came and took him to the hospital. They did some more blood works. And from the time he had the, the blood test the day before to present, his blood count was it was dropping so fast. And they said, you're going to need to be transfused because you're losing blood. You're going to be, it's either you get a stroke or you could possibly die. I spoke to my sister who wasn't a JW and I thought, I don't want them to blame me just in case he goes ahead and accepted a transfusion. I don't want them to blame me. So she said, no. You, they're not going to blame you. I am going to get involved. So she said, what's the number of the, your local elder? Give it to me and I'll speak to them. So they get the hospital liaison committee involved. They did that. So she called one of the elders and 
they got the hospital liaison involved and they came. When they came, I had to leave the, the room. So they spoke to him alone because I was disfellowship, so I wasn't allowed in there. So whatever he said to them... Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So you weren't allowed in the room where your, your own hus husband was ill? Yes, because they were the talking... The elders, HLC yeah. was there? Was there, yes. So wow. whatever he told them, not, not long after, they came out. And I think he must have said, I'm going to do what's best for me, whatever that involves. So you're not needed here. And they left. So I'm not sure. I think they maybe su suspected that he would have caved in and accepted a blood transfusion. But And there were rumors going around that he did accept one. But as I've said, it's between him and whatever he's done, whether he accepted a blood transfusion or not, thankfully he recovered and he's able to be a better person. He's He has seen them for who they are, but he's just, he's still in the religion. But, and he said to me the other day, he said, Tracy, imagine I was so ill, I was in pain, and yet all the elders cared about, because after he he was looked after and he was on the ward, they came to see him. I think I'm not sure if it was a day or two because it was it was a trying time because every time they would come and visit him, I would leave and go sit in the cafeteria while they speak to him. So I wasn't aware of any conversation that they had. It was him that was relaying what was happening. And he said the elder kept coming to his, to his bed hospital demanding to know whether or not he accepted a blood transfusion. All they cared about, they, he said, they, they weren't even, they didn't even care that I was here in pain. I could die. And yet all they were interested in, did you accept a blood transfusion? And whatever he said to them, I don't know, but it's it just goes to show you how it, it's it's mind-boggling. Here is this person being ill. They 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 all they cared about. Aren't you happy that this gentleman, the doctors had said a few days prior that he would have died? And here he is alive and well. Yes, in pain, still ill, but he's getting better. That's all that should have mattered. And all you cared, all they cared about was trying to find out if he accepted the blood. That's yeah. really, really bad. That's really bad. I mean, backing up a little bit as well, something I find really astonishing is that your worldly, so-called wicked worldly neighbor helped you in a situation which was essentially it was a life or death situation it was but the elder who lives across the street from you didn't open the door didn't because i was disfellowship he didn't open the door and apparently instead of calling me and say to say to me tracy i genuinely did not hear the bell ringing 
he called my husband to tell him that, oh, I didn't hear the bell ringing, that's why. But how can you not hear? The, the way our house is, it's, it's those ex-council, which you know they're, they're very light. They're not Victorian or Edwardian where it's hard for you to hear. It's light. These houses are, they're, they're, they're light houses. So how can, and it's glass windows across. So it's easy for him to look through his window and see me. How can you not hear the bell ringing? I can hear the bell ringing. So the bell actually works. The knuckle works. I, I don't believe that for a second. That I know. I, I know he, 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 I couldn't see him, but I know because, and he was there because his wife is, is elderly. She's sickly. So he doesn't generally leave the house. And if he does leave the house, he'll take his car. His car was there. And I know he was there. And it just goes to show you the mindset of these people. Even while he was in hospital, some of the cruel things that they, 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 they would do, like his, his, his family, they would bring food for him, but they would only bring food for himself, for him alone. They wouldn't bring enough for me. And one day when I was at work and he was home recuperating, he, he said to me, this elder and his wife came by and they bought some food. But I told him I can't eat it because it was too spicy. It's, it's, it's um, Jamaican food. Instead of the natural thing you would do, two people live in a house. One is ill, one isn't ill. You bought the food for this person. The person cannot eat it. Naturally, you leave the food just in case the wife needs it. But because I'm disfellowship, she took the food home. When he told me, I couldn't believe it. Here is this person claiming to be a Christian, but yet went as far as taking the food home just because her Christian brother couldn't eat the food. No, I'm an apostate, so I don't deserve to eat. But it's because of the generosity of outsiders, my friends, my family who are never J JWs, they came through, they made sure that he was well taken care of. I went there to the hospital because at the time I wasn't driving. So I would have to take the bus to the hospital. His brother drove, he doesn't offer, called his mom, doesn't call to find out if he's okay. She would call his phone. He know, She knows that he's not well and he can't be on the phone talking much. Instead of speaking, conversing with me to find out on what is happening they would prefer to call him directly and get information on his situation rather than calling me they don't want to have anything to do with me which it's it's really it's really sad and to this day it's it's continued even when i had my planned surgery a few months after my husband None of them came to see me in hospital. If it wasn't for my family and my friends, and and my husband, I would uh, I wouldn't know what I would do because they came, offered me assistance. None of them came to see me, and according to their books, in emergency you're allowed to associate with with or for for emergency only emergency but yet they didn't consider it an emergency for me to to 
be seen or for even the extension that they're helping their own child go through something as serious as as an yes mine was planned but it wasn't nonetheless serious i remember one of his friends as well when when before i got this fellowship this person he came to our house he came visiting from america and he came stayed with us and after he got ill he said to my husband are you sure Tracy is not trying to poison you and that's why you're in hospital? <laughs> I kid you not. Wow. I kid you not. Exactly. This is a, this is a, a witness. Yes. He told my husband, he said, are you sure I'm not your husband trying to keep, because his tummy was playing up his, because of the bleeding, he was yeah. in, feeling pain in his tummy because of the, the condition that he had. And he thought that, okay, Tommy Payne, you're in hospital. It must be Tracy trying to poison you. And so I was, but my husband, fortunately, my husband waited months after before he actually told me that's what the guy said. This is a guy who came into my home and it's not the first time this person said something negative because he came here when I had stopped attending meeting, stayed with us, and he said to my husband that he shouldn't be at Eve, Adam. He shouldn't because, in referencing to the fact that because of Adam's love for Eve, he ate the fruit. So he's trying to say to my husband, don't let, because of the love that you have for your wife, cause you to lose out on eternal life. He said, no matter how much Tracy has the good that she's done for us while we were staying with you uh, in, in, in England, it doesn't matter. It, it accounts for nothing. She's still gonna be destroyed at Armageddon because she is an apostate. So that doesn't count. Bearing in mind that this person came here, stayed with us. We didn't ask for anything, treated him. You know how long it takes to cook West Indian food. And oh, he absolutely. was getting... You have, start, you have to start from the crack of dawn. <laughs> yes. And he was getting three square meals a day. Exactly. <laughs> getting three square meals a day for him and his dad. When he went to visit his relatives in, in, in another parts of the country, paid for him to, to, to go visit, went to pick him up from the train station, picked him up at the airport, dropped him off at the airport, everything. Take him on a tour of London. At that time, my husband had to work, but because I wasn't working, I did that. But yet, he's saying that all of that accounts for nothing because of my one error and is oh i've left their god i've left their organization so i'm a nobody um, um i don't deserve to be thanked i don't deserve to be treated as a human being and yet i want to poison my husband and i think when he told my husband that because when he first said what he said before i was this fellowship my husband still kept still kept in touch with him but it's only after he said that I was trying to poison my husband. That's when my husband just cut him off. 
and he told me months later that, that this is what the guy said about me trying to poison him. Why would I try to poison him? I'm an ex-JW, not a, a killer. And it shows you how warped their thinking is. They just assume the worst of a person. And to be honest, I'm a much better person after leaving this religion because things I used to do when I was a witness, those things, are, don't, they don't even cross my mind anymore. They, they don't even pop up. And to say that I'm a more horrible person for leaving the witnesses, me, I can tell you, and if there's a God and he's reading my heart, he sees that, he knows that, that I'm a better person than when I was a, 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 a JW. So there's nothing to it. It's, it's really sad. And it's sad to know that these people, they claim to be your friends. And just like that, they drop you like a sack of hot potato just for disobeying, according to them, their organization. Nothing to do with God. As I said to my aunt, I don't, I, and in my judicial, I said, I've not left God. I've left the religion. I've not, what does that have to do? with anything, but they equate serving God as being a part of the religion. They, they, they use interchangeably. It's either or either. You cannot be serving God unless you're part of their religion, which is wrong. If you're going by the scripture, it says that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't go through to, to him. You have to go through Jesus to get to God. So where does he say organization in there? Nowhere. It doesn't. But yet you're telling me that I'm speaking, but I'm speaking for God. That's that's not right. Wow. You've really been through a lot. You've been through so much. And there are some parts of your story that are just, um, they're, they're shocking. But after realizing what this organization is all about they're not surprising no yeah which is really sad yeah it, really... it 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 just it's just mind-boggling but my husband he still believes in and he still signs signs into his zoom but he sees everything and he he's got some stories to tell because He's not been treated very kindly by the religion, but for some reason, he's, he's, he's what he's, it's probably captive to a concept. And by the way, my, my sister, who the only one that became a witness, she's been disfellowshipped for almost 10 years. Well, she's what you call a, a, a pomi, and they're, they are the difficult ones. She doesn't want to hear anything negative about the religion. So she's, she's physically out of the organization, yes. but mentally in she's mentally in doesn't want to hear anything about negative about the religion when i tried talking to her about it she does a la 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 doesn't want to hear she said she'd rather not hear anything and when she's ready she'll go back but she doesn't see anything wrong in celebrating birthdays having a boyfriend the usual but it's just that she's not going to the meetings and they, 
in the witness world, unless she gets married, she she can't be accepted back in. So it's she's in what you call purgatory <laughs> because she's not going anywhere. She she if going by their narrative, if tomorrow is Armageddon, she's not she's gonna be she's gonna be be destroyed if going by their narrative. So why are you living your life not living it to the fullest and accepting what they, they, they teach? But who knows? Wow. Well, all I can say is, I mean, not just for, for her, but for all people who are like physically out and mentally. And I have a great deal of sympathy for them because I, I think that's a really, really horrible situation to be in. I mean, I was physically out and mentally in for just over a year and I wouldn't wish that experience on my worst enemy. Yeah. You're, you're, you, you don't know who you are. You literally wake up in the morning. You don't know who you are. You know, you want to live a happy and full life but there are things that are holding you back from being able to do that it's 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 like being in limbo and it's, it's terrible and i've heard of people who've been in that situation for decades and i can't even bear to imagine what what they must go through on a daily basis you know trying to make a life for themselves in this world but still being held captive to a concept as you said earlier you know yeah so you have to reconcile yourself with the teachings of the jw's and see how they measure up to real life and take it from there. I'm not scared of Armageddon. I'm not like um, some people who still get very emotional when they hear of wars and COVID and all of these things happening. It, it doesn't affect me. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm dealing with it better now that I'm not a witness than if I was a witness because you know, with COVID happening, if you are a witness, what's what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, it's Armageddon. Great tribulation, yeah. Great tribulation yep. is coming. So mm -hmm. once you get that out of your mind and out of your head, <laughs> you think just life, just live life to the fullest. Life is to be enjoyed. If it means having a line on a Saturday morning, on a Sunday, somebody wishing you happy birthday, such a joy simple things in life enjoy it you can have a discussion with somebody and don't and, and not wondering if you're going to be turning to the elders because they think you're saying something contrary to the what the G gb says be be thankful for small mercies they're out there see the good in people Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Honestly, it's I'm still I'm, I'm still in shock over some of the things that you said. But um, I'm, I'm the, the sad thing is I'm sure you're not the only person to have experienced things like that. You know, that's a sad thing. But I really, really thank you for your courage for sharing sharing all of this. I know it couldn't have been easy, especially some parts. You know, so thank you so much. And I also want to thank you very much for supporting my channel from my very first video you're somebody who i recognize as being one of my most prolific commenters <laughs> <laughs> 
when I go back on my early videos, you're always there in the comments section. Of course, I didn't know who you were until recently. Yeah. But uh, when you when you contacted me and, and told me who, your 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 YouTube username, then I realized, oh, you're the one that's been commenting on my videos right from the start. So I'm really grateful for that, very much. You're welcome. We're we're all in this together. We we have one common goal, and that's bringing awareness to this organization because many people see it as harmless, but mm -hmm. their policies, that's the worst. The, the, and the thing is they they're able to get away with it because of the, they're under the guise of religion. Once again, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I just hope that you continue, you know, bettering yourself as you already have been doing and growing stronger and, and thriving. Yes, indeed. Wow. What an amazing story. Um, I'm still in shock over some of the things that Tracy kindly and bravely shared with us. But I hope you enjoyed the interview. Please like, share and subscribe. And also please drop a comment below to let us know what you think about this. Uh, thanks again for watching and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.